Let's pray together. Lord, as we come to you in prayer, we wish to be open with you. It is certainly true that sometimes our hearts are prone to wander. We need your power. We need your presence. Would you, as we study your word, show up? Reveal yourself to us in fresh and new ways. Help us to see you as you really are, high and exalted, and worth following. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, let me encourage you to turn then in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 and verses 20 to 23 this morning. I was a traveling yesterday with um, my son. Uh, He had a band competition. Uh, He plays percussion, and it was their end-of-year band competition. And after the percussion um, uh, competition, the percussion competition, that could be a rhyme. Percussion competition. Um, uh, They had a a fun day, and they went to Six Flags. So if I look a little shook about, uh, you will know why. And talking about being shook about, this passage is a little surprising. It talks about being slaves of God, and yet its thrust is just how good that is. Let me read for us God's Word. Listen then as we study this passage together. Romans 6, beginning at verse 20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul was picking up on this idea of slavery that he has been discussing throughout chapter 6. The reason why he's been talking about slavery is because he is explaining that to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus and receive his righteousness solely through faith does not lead to an immoral lifestyle. Instead, we are now under the mastership of the master. Well, the natural comeback question to that is, Do I really want to be a slave of God? And is that really a good thing? I was sitting down in a small room opposite the president of a church denomination in a country thousands and thousands of miles away when I discovered that he had been sent a confidential memo 
that had been written to senior leadership on their request about who would be the right person to take over the leadership of the mission in that country. There had been a betrayal of confidentiality, and it was a mess right there in front of me that took some time to sort out. We sorted it out. He is a friend, and I remember a couple years later taking him out to dinner in my own country when he was studying in the town where I was living at the time. Perhaps something like that has happened to you. You have been betrayed by a good friend, perhaps a Christian. Perhaps you were serving in some important mission organization or in a Bible study group, and something occurred that made you think, why on earth do I bother, and as the song put it, prone to wander is our heart. Have you ever thought to yourself, is being a slave of God or serving Jesus really worth all the hassle? If so, taste the fruit, open the gift. Taste the fruit, verses 21 to 22. Notice the image of fruit. Verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. So that is one kind of fruit. Verse 22, But now, a different kind of fruit, that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God. So this image of slavery or serving Jesus is there and it's being answered the question about it. The fruit, different kind of fruit you get, leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. In other words, Paul is saying, taste the fruit of serving Jesus. Compare and contrast two different kinds of lifestyle. The one kind of lifestyle leads, he says, to shame. Shame is a very strong word. The issue is that deep down we know we're made for something higher than selfish ambition or selfish accumulation. And so even if we succeed in accumulating a vast fortune or being a great success... If it is not for Jesus, it is rotting fruit. Famously, billionaire John D. Rockefeller was asked how much money was enough, and he replied, just a little bit more.
Living for self is a sour fruit, a rotten fruit, a worm-infested fruit. What is more, not only is it shamefully disappointing, it leads, Paul says, to death. That is, it is a dead end. His thinking seems to be this. Each of us must die, and therefore to live for self is the definition of pointlessness, for you must yourself die. Uh, in uh, ancient times, the Romans had gravestones that uh, were inscribed quite often with this well-known saying, what you are right now, I once was, and what I am now, you will soon be. Quite a reminder. Rotting fruit on the one hand. On the other hand, sweet fruit. Living for Jesus, a different kind of lifestyle. It leads, Paul says, to sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification means to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to reflect the character of God. And because we are made in the image of God, to reflect the character of God means to become increasingly as we were made to be. That is, holiness, he is contrasting, is the opposite of shame. Shame comes from being what we know we should not be and doing what we know we should not do. Holiness is being who we were made to be and doing what we are made to do, reflecting the character of God. And so you know the story from Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve were first made. They are both naked and they felt no shame. And when they sinned, they hid in the garden when they heard the sound of the Lord. But holiness is coming out of hiding. See, we misunderstand holiness. Holiness is not harshness. It is not hypercriticalness. John Owen described holiness like this, the famous Puritan. He put it like this. Holiness is nothing but the implanting, writing, and realization of the gospel in our souls. He went on to say, so that as our minds and the word should answer one another as face does unto face in water. It's a reflection. The gospel shapes us so our lives begin to look like the gospel. That's Holiness. If your life is looking like the gospel, you're becoming holy. Holiness is not weirdness. Contemporary preacher John Piper put it like this. When people cast fear to the wind and spend themselves and risk their lives and fortunes in the cause of God's truth and in love for other people, then God is revealed for who He really is, infinitely valuable and satisfying. Sweet fruit, infinitely valuable and satisfying. This, of course, is not a dead end because it is endless, eternal life. Whatever it costs now to grow gradually in Christ-likeness, my friend, it is worth it. For the end of sanctification is, Paul says, eternal life. Now you say, would it be easy? I say, nope. 
Will it be worth it? Absolutely. Heaven is a world that is suited only for the holy. For the end of sanctification is eternal life. We're declared right by God through faith, but as we grow in holiness, we're increasingly prepared to be fit for the holy heaven. Holiness is becoming then increasingly heaven-like as well as Christ-like. Holiness is then as thrilling as you can with biblical imagination conceive that heaven could be. I've met some people who are so full of holiness that they are almost a foretaste of heaven. Do you sometimes wonder whether serving Jesus is worth all the hassle? There was a son who was refusing to go to church one morning. His uh, mother shouted up the stairs, Hurry up! It's time to go! Back down the stairs came the annoyed bellow, I'm not going. His mother shouted again, hurry up, come on, I'm not going, the son replied. Let's go, the mother said. The boy said, I'm not going, no one likes me and I don't have any friends. His mother shouted back, you've got to go because you're the pastor and you're preaching. Do you ever wonder whether serving Jesus is worth all the hassle? Paul says, taste the fruit. It's a bit like that Dr. Phil question. You know Dr. Phil, the Texan? How's that working for you? with my apologies for any Texans among us. <laughs> Taste the fruits. So what is that fruit? What is the benefit of following Jesus? I'll tell you what the benefit of following Jesus is. You want to know? It's Jesus. To follow Jesus is to experience life as we are designed to experience life, which is Him who is life. Why is it worth it? He's worth it. Taste the fruit. Open the gift. Look, look at verse 23, if, if you were with me, the end of the passage. Open the gift. Famous verse. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, it's another contrast, wages against gift. The wages of sin is de death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So say, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and for good reason, it's a beautiful juxtaposition contrast, the labor of sinfulness versus the graciousness of life. 
Now, of course, you and I, and uh, generally people today, don't think of sin as something that is work for which you get a wage. We don't think of sin as hard work. We tend to think of sin as giving in or letting go or not holding back anymore, going with the flow. Paul is saying that sinning is actually more like earning a wage. Sin is a job. It takes labor. You get payment for it at the end. The word here for wages was actually used for the kind of wages that was paid to soldiers. At the end of the month, they got a wage. You see, people often say, don't they, that God's judgment on sin is unfair. Why should a good God send good people to hell? The answer? There's no such thing as a good person. And so death is a fair wage for sin. The right and fair payment for anyone, anyone except Jesus and those who are in Jesus by faith is, Paul says, death. The wages of sin is death. And then he contrasts that with the gift or the grace of life eternal life. Now, in church circles, we are so familiar with the idea of eternal life being a gift that it just, it just becomes background noise, ceases to surprise us, let alone shock us. A colleague of mine once performed an experiment to illustrate the shock of the graciousness of life, the gift of life. He set up a stall outside a grocery store to serve high-end, good-quality coffee. A sign indicated that this coffee was going to be free. And anyone who passed by, he offered them a free cup of coffee, and no one but no one would take it. What's the catch? There's no such thing as a free lunch. No other religion in the world believes eternal life is a gift. Islam, for instance, believes that you must perform the five pillars and earn your way to paradise. But all religions teach this default assumption of the human race. You must earn your way to heaven by being good. But Paul says, you've got it the wrong way around. You earn your way to hell. It's fair to go to hell, but to get to heaven, you have to open a gift. It doesn't make it easy. In fact, I suspect it is the hardest thing that anyone ever had to do because it requires that least popular of all Christian virtues, humility. There was a man who had a rich uncle. 
The uncle came to him one day with a Rolls Royce. He handed him the keys. It was free. It was his. Go ahead and drive. It's yours. Take it for a spin. It's free. Imagine if the man who received that Rolls Royce free gift had said to his uncle, well, you know, thank you very much, but I cannot possibly accept this free gift. I'm going to have to pay for it. And reached inside into his pocket and pulled out a $5 banknote as a payment. We find it so hard to accept that heaven is not earned, it is given, it is not achieved, it is given. Open the gift, be humble enough simply to open the gift without offering a $5 banknote in payment. You can do nothing to earn your way. You have done nothing to earn your way. You will do nothing to earn your way. To attempt to pay God for your eternal life by your good works is like trying to pay for a free gift Rolls Royce with a $5 banknote. Do you ever think whether serving Jesus is really worth all the hassle? Taste the fruit. Open the gift. A few years ago, I got an email from that same country where I had sat so uncomfortably in my friend's house hearing about this bizarre betrayal from around the world. That email now told me of the progress of the work of the gospel in that country. I could taste the fruit. Perhaps you could do that for someone. Perhaps there's someone who has shared the gospel with you in your small group, in your adult community, that you could write to or text or tell them what God is doing in your life. You know, that opportunity to taste the fruit might keep you and that other person believing that following Jesus is worth all the hassle. You know, sometimes I think we're a bit like the person who complains that they don't get a brand new car when they've just inherited Australia. You've got Australia. There will be a lot of cars in Australia. You have God. You know? I mean, It's kind of a big deal. 
he made everything. In him you will have everything. Christ is yours. God is yours. Open the gift. Taste the fruit. Let us pray. Hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Our Lord God, we bow before you and worship you with joy, for you are our all in all. In the name of Jesus, amen.